0: Thank you. I think last time I was here you were singing through the book. It's good to know you haven't made it yet. One of the things that the Lord has laid on my heart is is Christian marriages, and especially Christian marriages today. I've been involved in a few counseling sessions lately with people who are having issues in their marriage. And as I explained this morning, we related some of that to you. One of the great problems in Christian marriages today is that they have bought into what the world says marriage is all about. And what the world says is you meet Mr. Right, he fulfills your dreams, and you live happily ever after. And if your dreams aren't fulfilled, the problem is you haven't chosen Mr. Right, try again. And unfortunately... That's not what the Bible says marriage is all about. And so we're going to look at some of that as in light of, and I believe it's true, that there's many people who say, come to Jesus and everything will be perfect. He'll complete you. He'll finish you. Your life will be rosy. It will be a charm. You won't have to worry about any trials or troubles or anything. And people come and they try Christ and they find out that none of that's true. And then they decide they tried the wrong thing. And so just like our relationship in a marriage takes work, our relationship with Jesus Christ takes effort. Not in our own effort, but in the effort of the Spirit. Paul it tells the Galatians that if you begin in the Spirit, are you going to be completed in the flesh? So it's not check marks, it's not do's and don'ts. It says so as we sing that song, it's, it's, it's through Jesus and him alone that you're going to find what you need in Jesus Christ. I spoke this morning about relationship with Jesus Christ, and I talked about defining relationship, and I mentioned four questions. Most of you were here this morning, so I won't dwell on these. But when you hurt, where do you go to comfort? What is most important to you? What is that that really gets you excited? And what do you treasure? And if you ask yourself those questions and you came up with the conclusion that you'd like a closer walk with Christ, you'd like to have something that's more in line with an intimate relationship with Christ, that you're not burdened by the do's and don'ts, you're not checking box marks or checking off tasks and feeling that you're pleasing God by doing tasks, then I have a few suggestions for you tonight. Let's turn to First John 1 to start with. We're going to be looking at a number of texts. And one person come up to me after I was done speaking. And he said, you know, I like what you say. I just don't like the sword drill you force us to do every time you speak. And I'm a firm believer that the word of God is the thing that has the power and not the words that I speak. Not the words of my wisdom, but it's a word of God. And bear with me, please, because we do look at passages. Because I don't want you to think it's what I said. But it's what the word of God said. I was speaking to a young man. He was asking me about some teaching. I said, you need to be a Berean. And he never heard of the Bereans. You have not heard of the Bereans. They were the ones who were more noble than the Thessalonians and Acts. Because they search the scriptures to see if these things be so. And I would beg you to search the scriptures to see if what I say is so. Do not take my word for it. There's only one word that has power and authority. And that's the word of God. 1 John. We're going to look at verse 3 of 1 John 1. John says this. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. If you've not spent time studying first John, I would encourage you to do so, because the first John is written that your joy may be full, and the secret to true joy is fellowship, relationship, What you share in common with Jesus Christ. What you share in common with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Again, we have to speak well of your son. Father, may we speak well of his excellencies. May we glorify him in all that we say and do. May we present Christ as the one who lifts burdens. It is not my desire to place guilt trips but, Father, to lift up Christ that they might be attracted to your Son, that they might be in love with your Son, that, Father, they would desire with their whole heart to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So, Father, we commit this time to you in the name of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I think if we could grasp that we talked a little bit this morning that True joy is in the fellowship we have with the Son. It's in our relationship with the Son. It can be nowhere else. And I would suggest, there's a long list. I'm going to suggest three, and we're going to talk about three things that prevent us from having an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. These are not designer things. These are things most of us struggle with. Yours might be different. But there's three that I've chosen, and we want to just talk about them just a little bit. The first one's selfishness. The second one is secrets. And the third one's priorities. And I would suggest that those are the same issues that most marriages are struggling with on a regular basis. We're going to start with the first one, which is selfishness. One of the problems with marriage that I run across a lot, and I believe it's true, is that you take two individuals who are selfish by nature, you put them together in a very close proximity and they get to find out just how selfish the other person is. And some respond by being less selfish and some start figuring out how much of their selfishness they can retain and how much they're going to have to give up to get along with their mate. And that's really not the idea that's in in view. In our relationship with Christ, on the other hand, there's only one who's selfish, and it's not him. He's fully loving. He always does what's best for us. He's proven that by giving himself. In fact, that's why husbands are told to love their wives like Christ loved the church, because that is a standard. If you read 1 Corinthians 13, what do you find? You find the very definition of love, and it's the very things you can apply to Jesus Christ in everything that's said. Because it's a total lack of selfishness is God's love. God always does what's best for us, even when it costs him. And that's why that's a standard for husbands. Now, most husbands... And I have to include myself in this. We try to figure out how much we can do that doesn't cost too much and how little sacrifice we can get away and still have a happy wife. It's honest. Well, unfortunately, we transfer that into our marriage relation, in into our relationship with Jesus Christ, and we wonder what is what what's I hate to say this. What's the least I can do and be happy Christian? Turn over to Luke 9, if you would. Christ repeats these type of words on a regular basis. And I want to tell you, if you want to have a happy marriage, the same is true in marriage. The less selfish you are, the better your marriage is going to be. Luke 9.23 says this, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Through verse 24, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. It's giving it all up. That's what becomes saving. We want to be happy. but we want to retain everything that we think makes us happy. And we miss out what God wants to give us. Same thing in a marriage. I sit down with a couple, and they want to be happy. They just don't want to give up their selfishness to be happy. They want the other person to give up their selfishness, thinking somehow that's going to make them happy. And it never works that way. It never works that way. If you give up enough of yourself, it's just sometimes you do become happy. But if the other person retains there, they're never going to be happy. Because they're not in this marriage out of love. They're in this marriage out of self-love. They're not interested in giving and completing the marriage. They're interested in themselves. We read this earlier that Paul understood this. Paul understood this. And what was Paul willing to give up? And we read it in, in Philippians 3, 8 through 14. He says, I counted all loss. What was he willing to give up? His success? His self worth? His value? Because he placed it all in the do's and don'ts? He's willing to give it all up as a person. He's willing to suffer. He was even willing to die. Because he realized that finding joy meant giving it to Christ, who's better able to manage it. We have finite minds, and sometimes we think that somehow we're better to be in control. And we have a loving God who asks us to surrender to him and let him be in control because he's always going to do what's best for him. When you sit down with with young couples and and you ask things, you say to the husband, "What's, what's your wife's top three priorities? What's the most important things to her? Well, usually almost every woman will list security as one of the three things. Most men will list respect as one of the three things. A woman wants to be secure in the relationship and secure knowing that she's going to have a roof over her head. We aren't much different than that. We want to be secure, but we're afraid to give to Christ. We're afraid to trust him with our security. There's some wives that are afraid to trust their husbands with their security because the husbands, to be honest, haven't always proved to be so good at doing that. And we want to manage our affair. We want to manage our jobs. We want to manage what we're doing because we don't trust him to provide for us. We don't trust him to be in control. And we like to just sort of, you know, hang on to pieces. And you go through the scriptures, and there's example after example after example. And what the Bible calls it is the flesh. And we see the flesh in Abraham. He didn't really fully trust God to give him a child, so he waited, well, you know, as long as he could. And then he got busy doing his own thing. And you see it again and again and again through scriptures. That we are patient for so long, but then we sort of have to figure it out. you go into through Isaiah. How many times do you see Isaiah? And the Lord says, I'm your God. I protected you. Why are you trying to form an alliance with Egypt because they have chariots and armies to fight the Assyrians when I'll do it for you. I don't need armies. I don't need chariots. And yet we see the other army coming closer and we look at circumstances and our faith gets shaky and we want to do our own thing. There's been cutbacks at work. And the boss comes in and asks you if you have a report. Well, you're afraid to say no, because then you might be the next cutback. And so, yeah, yeah, I got it here somewhere. I just got to find it. I have it in your office in just, in just a little while. When you know you haven't even started it yet. And the truth of the matter is, is you are not trusting in Christ for your job. You don't think he can care for you, take care of you, and keep you secure so you think you have to have a handle on that you have to take care of it so now you're not, just, you're not being honest and you've, you've compromised because of this overwhelming selfishness because you're afraid and Paul says I gave all that up I gave it all up so that I might know him that I might know him Fully trusting him, as I said earlier, who do you trust? You trust those you know. If you're insecure and you're not trusting, fully trusting, chances are chances are that you're insecure, because you don't know him. If you really know what Jesus Christ did, we read that verse in Romans eight, Romans five. I was thinking about reading the same verse this morning when I read it. When I was without strength, Christ died for me. When there was nothing that I could do for myself, he stepped in and took care of me. He's proven that my security and my welfare is number one on his list, and he was willing to do so by shedding his own blood. And yet, I'm worried about my job, and so I'm going to lie Because I don't think he can keep my job. Keep my soul, that's okay. My job, well, that's a different issue. I better take care of that. That's probably not important to him. But if we really knew who he is, and I read the Old Testament, and I see what a gracious God we have. And I see how many times God goes out of his way to assure his people. I mentioned Gideon this morning. Gideon's a marvel to me. He put God through every test to the point that I'm going, Aren't you tempting God? You know, the fleece is wet, now the ground's wet. I mean, at what point do you stop all these tests, God? You know, God, why do you say to Gideon, you're trying me? I've proved myself to you. What's the deal? And then Gideon, and then God comes to Gideon and he goes, just before the battle, he goes, Gideon, I don't know if he knew, still knew Gideon had some doubts. He goes, Go down and listen. To what's being said in the enemy camp. And take your servant with you. And Gideon goes down. And he hears that they're already defeated. They're already afraid of Gideon. Why did God have to do that after everything had been done? Because we have a gracious God who's constantly assuring us. Yeah, are we out on the limb a little bit? And are we getting a little nervous? Because we're trusting him and we're getting edging out there just a little bit. He comes along and he assures you that he's right there with you. Can we surrender to him? Can we give up what we want to hold on to? Give it to him and will he take care of it? Because part of why we're selfish is because we really don't trust the other person to 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 be there for us, to meet our needs. The next one, secrets. Let's look, let's look at secrets. Often in marriages, one of the problems is secrets. You know, who do you run to when you have good news? Are you willing to be open and honest with the other person? If you're struggling in an area, are you willing to share this? And when that lack of trust, which we just talked about, starts breaking down, then you start keeping Secrets. And when you start keeping secret, there's a breakdown of communication. And when you start keeping secrets, there's a coldness that will set in. And mainly the reason why you keep secrets is because you don't trust the other person with the information. You don't trust your mate with knowing your failures. People get fired from jobs and they don't tell their wife for two or three weeks. Why is that? Because they don't trust her. Sometimes we get this high opinion of ourselves as men that we want to protect them, so we don't tell them what's really happening, thinking somehow we'll protect them. And is there no wonder that we don't have intimacy in our marriage? We read from Psalms 139 earlier today. I'm going to read a little bit. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. You're not keeping any secrets from Jesus Christ. We sometimes think that he doesn't know about our failures, We sometimes think that he he's really not interested in our especially if we consider them small failures. But he is. And he knows everything. He knows all our secrets. There's nothing we can hide from him. There's nothing that he doesn't know. He knows if we're struggling at work. He knows if we're being stressed by a bad boss. He knows everything. Do we take it to him in prayer then? Is that where we turn? Or do we think somehow he's not interested in those things in our lives? And that's where communication starts breaking down. And that's where intimacy starts breaking down. In a marriage, one of the things that's, that I believe... I believe that the mate is the one that God has given to us to make us more like his son. When you're selfish... Or if you're not like me, then you're not selfish, and I can accept that. It's your mate that's going to tell you those areas that need to be filed off. It's your mate who's going to tell you, you know, that's pretty selfish the way you did that. I was counseling one young couple, and the woman said, well, he minds less doing the dishes and cleaning the bathroom, so since he minds less, I think he should do it. Oh, well, that's a little selfish, and I'm glad to point that out. But who points out to us when we're selfish as Christians? Turn over, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 4 and 5. You know, there's a reason there in 1 John, it talks about walking in the light. There's a reason that we're told that Jesus Christ is the light. First John 4 and 5 says this, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart, and then shall every man have praise of God. It is God who's going to reveal your areas of weakness and your areas of selfishness and your areas of secrets. It's God who will reveal them to you, and then you have a choice. If your wife tells you, you know, that was pretty selfish that you keep leaving your socks on the floor and you don't pick them up and put them in the hamper, now you have a choice. You can say, yeah, that's selfish, and I'm not going to do that anymore, and every time the socks go in the hamper, or you can say, yeah, it's good for her to pick up socks. Well, one thing leads to intimacy in marriage, as a false pointed out, and you can correct it, and one thing leads to marriage problems, and then you call someone like me to try to help you. It's your choice. It's the same thing with Jesus Christ. Turn over, if you would, to 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. When I counsel a young person, sometimes I can identify the problem, but that's all I can do. I can't change anyone. In fact, in a marriage, I, one of the things, first thing I tell them is, guess what? There's only one person who can change you, and that's you. You can't change your mate. You can henpeck them. You can make them so they dread coming home. You can browbeat them. You can guilt trip them. You can do all of that. There's only one person who's going to change, and you have to change yourself. The same. Is true with us. Jesus shines a light on us, and then it's up to us what we do with it. Look at, look at 1, 2 Corinthians 3 and 18. But we all with open face, beholding as in glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Come unto me, all you that are heavy laden. Learn of me. That's the secret. Now, we're going to learn of Christ, and Christ is the light of the world. He's going to shine the light on us, And now we have a choice. We can be changed so we can reflect the glory of the Lord and we can be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ or at that point we can turn our back and turn away. Turn over to James. James talks about this. I really love the way James puts it as a matter of fact. It's the same idea. What do you do when the lights shine in a manner on you that you see there's an area of your life that you need to change. What do you do with that information? You, you know, you're just coming to church to fulfill a duty. You're just coming to church so mom and dad can see you're here. You're just coming to church so other people think you're living a good life. And the Lord shines a light on there and says, there's a hard issue here. There's no joy in it. You're not doing it because you love me you're doing it because it's a duty now what do you do with that how do you respond because if you're reading the word because that's really where the light comes from and you're being convicted about something in your life you can go your friends and go do you do this that's always good compare notes with others and if they sin as much as you do then it's okay and i'm afraid we do that today How many hours a week do you watch television? Okay, then it's okay for me to watch two hours less, and I'm doing okay. The question isn't how many hours you watch television. How many hours you watching television because you're selfish? How many hours are you watching because that's what you want to do? How many times do you know maybe there's something else you should be doing, and that's not what you're doing? I have to step on my own toes at times, so... um, I'm not trying to step on anyone else's. First, in James 1 and 22, do you, be you doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own self. Because the truth of the matter is if you see yourself in the word and you see an area of your life that needs to be changed and you don't change or you think you're okay or you justify yourself, you're only deceiving yourself. You're only deceiving yourself. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in a glass. You see what's wrong, you see what needs to be changed. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. It's not that he doesn't see the need. It's not that he doesn't see the problem. The problem is that he turns away from the glass and he deceives himself and he forgets it. And he forgets what needs to be changed. Once again, spouses are great at this. Spouses live with you intimately and they can tell you the areas you're not like Christ. Sometimes harshly. Sometimes maybe not the way you'd prefer to hear it. But then you have a chance to either respond to that or not. And the same thing goes here. Twenty-five. But whosoever looketh in the perfect law of liberty. Notice what he calls it. Not the perfect law of duties. Not the perfect law of form and function. But the perfect law of liberty. Because he says that his commandments are not grievous. He told us that his burden is light. He's a burden lifter. He's not here to make our life more difficult. And somehow we got to get that out of your mind. Because I think too many people think that it's all the do's and don'ts, and I can't really fully follow Jesus because there's too many do's and don'ts. I'd have to go live on a hillside somewhere and not talk to anyone. But that's not what he is, and that's not what he's talking about. He has the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, This man shall be blessed in his deed. No, it's a hearer of the word, but it's a doer of the work because there should be a response in us. Not duty, not regiment, not form, not function, but a response of love. You buy your wife flowers on the way home the first year you're married to surprise her and delight in her because you want to show her how much you care about her and you've been thinking about her all day. That's not duty. That's love. And then about the fourth year, you've stopped buying flowers and you want to buy something practical, so you bring the iron home and she throws it at you. Because <laughs> now you're not so much interested in love and the frivolity of love. You're interested in the practical things that the house needs. And sometimes we slip into that with the Lord and we go, what's, what, what's the practical thing? I don't want to give my house myself fully to the Lord because there's practical things I've got to do. There's things I've got to do. And the end is that we don't become doers of the work. And notice it says, this man shall be blessed in all his deeds. What's blessed? It's happiness. This man you want to be happy, you want to have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to have joy, then when you read the scriptures, hopefully daily, and you see an area of your life that you need to change, if you see something about yourself that has to be, take place, you need to do it if you want to be happy. Same thing in a marriage. I can sit down and point out some things you need to change, and a month later I come and sit down with you and nothing changed. It's no wonder to me that you're both miserable, neither one of you is willing to give an inch. How sad. I grieve over some of these. But what? Because you really don't want to be happy. And that's what he's telling us. Because true joy, true happiness, true fellowship with him is when we become like him. The more we get to know him, the more we trust him, the more our walk of faith increases, the more intimate we become. And when we come to trials, we find him to be there. There are some wives who don't trust their husbands. They never have an opportunity to trust them. It's their birthday. They have to tell them every day for a week that it's their birthday. And they usually tell them exactly what it is. And sometimes they go out and buy the gift because they don't trust him to remember well, why should he remember? You did it all. The same thing goes. You need to trust Christ. Because if you're constantly doing it all, he'll, let you, he'll sit back and let you work in the flesh and do whatever you can. And there's no joy in that. There's no peace. And there's no fellowship. And So sometimes you got to get out on that limb and trust him. And depend on him. And let him come through for you to prove who he is. Last one's priorities. We all struggle with priorities. Married couples struggle with priorities. Who takes? Who whose family takes priority? What mother in law do you go to for Thanksgiving? What mother in law do you go to for Christmas? How much time you spend with his parents as opposed? There's a lot of things. Priorities. Some young men have troubles arranging priorities. They're working and working and working, thinking that if they keep working and working hard, they're going to get somewhere and they ignore their wife. Sometimes the children come along, the wife's priorities become the children. And so we all struggle with priorities and often it causes a lot of damage. Let's look at Luke 9. Luke's a great book on priorities and and laying down your life for the Lord and Exactly what it means to serve the Lord. Luke 9.59 says this. And he said unto another, follow me. Follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go bury my father. I want to follow you, but I have something more important to do. She said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at the home where are at home at my house. And she said to him, No man having put his hand to the plough and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, we preach today, unfortunately, wealth and health, and come to Jesus and your life will be great. And what did Jesus preach? It's tough to follow me. Lay it all down and pick up your cross and follow me. You've got to put things behind and put them in the right priority. I was talking to someone not so long ago, and they were going on vacation. And I said, you're going on vacation? I said, what kind of vacation are you going on? He says, oh, it's one of those stay-at-home vacation." Oh, so we'll see you Sunday. Uh, no, you didn't get it. I said it was a stay-at-home vacation. I said, oh. You're taking vacation from church, yeah? I'm taking vacation from all my duties because church had become a duty to him. It was just another priority that he checked off every week, like going, getting up, and going to work. It wasn't something he did because he loved the saints. He loved the people. Well, the truth of the matter is, Jesus wants to be the one and only. We would be aghast if someone had someone other than their wife or their husband as their one and only. That's what ruins a marriage faster than anything. And most people know that you have to have your wife or husband as a one and only. But Isaiah's full of it is that Israel was always looking around for somebody else. They always wanted to form some type of relationship. In fact, one of the major problems in Isaiah is idolatry. He says, you would rather go to help to an an idol that's made with your hands over the God who folds the heavens up like a canopy over the God who can tell the beginning from the end over the God who doesn't take counsel of anything because he knows everything that's (laughs) something your own hands made that's who you're going for help I'm a jealous God is he number one we wouldn't want to in a marriage you don't put your marriage your wife second it's only as you put Lord Jesus Christ first and your wife on an equal plane but if you put your golf game if you put your job if you put any of those things second you really have a problem one of our problems is that the world gets in our way In 1 John 2, 15-17, if you read it, it said, Love not the world. Love not the world. And most of us sit there and go, we don't love the world. The world's evil. I mean, this world we live in is just so evil. Paul talks about being the present evil age. It's evil. We know it's evil. But notice the next thing says, Neither the things that are in the world. Neither the things... That are in the world. I think we all know that the world system is evil, but I think there's sometimes things in the world that we love. There's things in the world that we give priority to, there's things in the world that we like and are selfish about and we do, be it sports. I keep hearing this announcement, and I'm not picking on anybody, believe me, but I keep hearing this announcement that it's okay. We've avoided the time of the Super Bowl, so it's okay. Well, where's your list of priorities? Is the Super Bowl. If there was a meeting, and a lot of churches close because there's a Super Bowl. If there was a meeting and it interfered with the Super Bowl, how many people would be here? Where is it? I, could, I, I know, two di- I can tell you two different things. I preached in jail on Super Bowl Sunday, I, I think five years in a I preached the gospel on Super Bowl Sunday. Because nobody wanted to go to the jail to preach the gospel. And every time they called my team, I'd say, well, go. Because all the rest of the teams, nobody wanted to go because it was Super Bowl Sunday. Same with Father's Day and Mother's Day and days like that. They always gave us a call then because they knew we'd answer the call. But another time I went to the Super Bowl party, and uh, someone had a problem. I walked out on the patio. We sat out there talking through the whole game, and after two husbands chastised me, you know what? You, how bad you made us look like you were more interested in, in, in helping someone than watching the Super Bowl? And I said, I can't help it, guys. It's there, fine, but I don't have to watch it. And I wouldn't make it a priority to watch it over helping someone or watch it over preaching the gospel or watch it over anything else. But I know a lot of people have marked it on their calendar and set that time aside, and they wouldn't miss it for anything. And I hate to tell you that, but that's a thing of the world. It's a thing of the world. At least it is to me, and I'll let you decide for yourself whether it's a thing of the world. Turn over to John six thirty-five. So my challenge is, is Jesus Christ your first priority? Is Jesus Christ your first priority? Is he your one and only? Is he your one and only? So I have two clocks to choose from, huh? John six thirty-five. Very, very familiar verse to us. It says, and Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. The bread of life. Have we thought about that? What does that mean? What's he claiming here by calling himself the bread of life? He's the very substance of life. He's not the the side dressing. He's not the hors d'oeuvres. He's not the dessert. He's the main course. He's it. We were talking yesterday at the wedding to a young man who's Filipino by nationality. And one of the things, if you know about Filipinos, is they eat rice at every meal. It doesn't matter if it's breakfast, lunch, or dinner. They serve rice. I went to my Filipino friend's house. We're sitting there. They're having roast beef, mashed potatoes, and here comes the rice. And I go, well, you already have one starch. Why do you need rice? And they go, we serve rice at every meal. It's a staple of life. If you go to Mexico and they don't serve you tortillas, something's wrong. The tortillas are a staple of life. This is what Christ's saying. I'm a staple of life. He's all we need to truly live. And I don't know we always grasp that. He alone is essential. Why can you give up everything? Because he alone truly satisfies. He's the bread of life. He's the bread of life. The last thing I'll remind you with, I'll leave you with is It's always been so with God. It's always been so with God. Matthew 22, 37, when they came to Jesus and asked him, what's the the commandments? He says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. There's not a lot of room for loving yourself in there. There's not a lot of room for selfishness. The good news is, if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to sell out and be like Paul and say, I want to know Christ. And I'm going to remove anything that's between Christ and myself, anything that's going to hinder that relationship, anything, I'm willing to sacrifice it all. I'm willing to deny myself and take up the cross. I'm willing to give it all to Him. So that I can serve him. It's not easy. It doesn't mean you walk out the door and tomorrow morning you wake up and now everything's changed. It's a one day at a time. It's one day of reading the scriptures and saying, that's me, I'm selfish just like that. It's one day looking at the scripture and say, the fruit of the Spirit's long-suffering and I'm the most impatient person in the whole world. I don't have patience for anything. I want it yesterday, and, and if I couldn't have it yesterday, I wanted the day before. What does it mean to be long suffering? It means to be very patient because you're willing to suffer. Unfortunately, one of the things I run into is wives telling me that their husbands get excited and they don't have a lot of patience with them. Well, I want to tell you, a lack of patience is not a fruit of the Spirit. So when the Lord convicts you of something that you need to change, then you start working on that. You say, Father, with the help of the Spirit, I want to be more patient. Teach me what patience is. Sometimes I'll bring a trial into your life. I'll teach you patience. Sometimes put you flat on your back. Sometimes I'll take things that you're in control of and remove them so you feel helpless. Maybe control's your issue, and you have to be in control, and maybe he'll take, you'll lose your job. And now you feel helpless because you're not in control, and now you're dependent on the Lord and the Lord alone. And hopefully he uses his people to meet your needs, but now you're dependent on him. It's hard to be in control when there's nothing to control, because then you're fully dependent on him. So believe me, if you're going to pray for his help and he brings a trial into your life, he brings a tribulation into your life, he brings something into your life, be ready to meet it. Be ready to learn what he has for you. Romans 8. let's, Let's just... Romans 5. Let's conclude with Romans 5. I got two minutes. That other clock isn't moving, so I'll stop watching it. I've said this before. I'll say it again. You know what? You know why preachers say in conclusion. Preachers say in conclusion to give people hope. (laughs) Romans 5 and verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation. I'm not quite ready to tell you I glory in tribulation I see what Trevor's going through, and I could not glory in what he's going through. That's a trial that I don't, I would not hope on anyone. I believe, I was talking to Dave earlier, I believe that he's doing a work for God, and I think part of this, but I know God doesn't allow something like this to come into your life unless it's for our good. I'm firmly convinced of it. He's proven that he only has my best interest in mind. He's proven he only has Trevor's best interest in mind, Leo's best interest in mind, and their family's best interest. I'm convinced of it. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know how God is going to use this. My prayer is he'll use it to bring his parents to salvation. And personally, it would be worth it all to both Trevor and Leo if that was to happen. I don't know, but I know God sees it. And it's when I see it from God's point of view that then I can glory in it. And until I can see it from God's point of view, it doesn't work that way. But he says, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, because when you're going through this and you see God work, and you see that God's there, and you're out on that limb, and he's out there with you encouraging you, and he's right there each step of the way with you, you become more patient. You're not out there inching back towards the main branch because you're afraid the limb you're on is going to break at any second because you're trusting in God. And patience, experience, or character or allows you to believe. One of the great problems with us is we allow experience to block our faith. It worked in the past. It will work this time. Abraham was one of those, and we talked about that this morning at the breaking of bread. Abraham was able to forget everything he knew and trust God because God said it. God said he would give him a child, and Abraham was able to, his experience told him it would never happen. Sarah was too old. His experience told him <laughs> this isn't going to work. And he trusted God. Took him one failure, but then he trusted God, and God proved himself to be above anything our experience can. He takes Isaac then up the hill, and and, and, and it's just it's it's mind-boggling to me his faith that he says, We will come again. Hebrews tells us he believed that he would raise Isaac from the sun because he believed that it was through Isaac that the seed would come. And his experience, he'd never seen someone raised from the dead. Noah had never seen it rain. Their experience told them this is not so. But we have a God who makes the unseen real. But it's hard for us. But as we experience his love and his intimacy and he's there for us and he helps us along, guess what? Next time we trust him a little more. And next time we trust him a little more and experience hope. And that means next time we're in a trial, our past experiences tell us that we're going to hope in God. He's built the character up in us so that next time we're going to hope in God. And hope maketh not ashamed. Interesting verse, maketh not ashamed. Because Isaiah tells us that he who trusts in him will not be ashamed. Why? Because our hope and everything we have, our expectations is the one that we know is faithful. That's an interesting word to go through Revelations. And look at how many times the Lord Jesus is called faithful. Faithful. And faithful and true. He is absolutely faithful. I fail all the time. He never fails. Maketh not a ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Trust him, He never fails. He's with you always. Release your insecurities. trust him with your secrets. Give up on your selfishness, and make him your number one priority and your joy will be full because your fellowship will be with Jesus Christ let's pray Father we come we thank you oh Father the scripture says that your gift is unspeakable and so we come even now Father and thank you for the gift of your son that we who were sinners helpless alienated enemies, that you would send your son to die for such as us. And yet, Father, we readily admit that as humans we fail to trust your character. We fail to trust that you have our best interests in mind, and we fail to release the hand on the plow because we want to be in control. Oh, Father, help us to trust you. Help us to get out on that limb where you are whether it's in service, whether it's the way we live our life, if it's school, if it's a job. Help us to be those who walk by faith because our eyes are fixed on Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, to be like Paul and know know your son on an intimate level, not superficially, not just going along and not just getting along. But, Father, to have a love affair with your son And to demonstrate that by the way we live our lives so that others might see Jesus Christ in us. Oh, Father, that would be our prayer. May others see Christ in us. That we've been so transformed by both his power to save, his power to keep us from sin. And his power, Father, to bring us to eternity. Father, we give you thanks again for your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.